I had a most interesting conversation with the chatbot yesterday morning during which I asked it to confirm what I've said in episodes of this series, namely that when it responds to a question, it only accesses a tiny fraction of the neural net nodes that it has at its disposal, and it confirmed that that is true. And it said that the reason well, the reason why, of course, is to do with the resources available, but the, the way it does it, the means it, does, it uses to do it, is that it has a thing called an attention function. And the attention function gives it clues as what you might call to the areas that it should consult, so to speak, or from which it should draw in order to answer a particular question. And I have the transcripts of this conversation uh, to confirm all this. But I then said to it, well, that's all very well, but your attention function is therefore going to be hampered by the fact that it can't possibly anticipate every one of the questions that it is ever going to be asked. And it confirmed that that was true. And it said, and that is why even the attention function has to have a certain flexibility and one may suppose, although this wasn't part of the conversation, that that flexibility entails a certain degree of error, that there are, that the, that the chatbot may fail to access vital areas of knowledge that it really should include in its answers and it may also access areas of knowledge that are irrelevant to its answers, or perhaps even misleading or wrong. Now this attention function, about which I don't know very much more than I've already said, I couldn't get on today, the thing's too busy to talk to me, huh, see if I care. <laughs> um, this attention function seems to play a very important role, and it would be very interesting to know, and when I get a chance I will ask it, whether the attention function is, as you might say, self-generated from its training or whether it's provided as a kind of bolt-on extra by its programmers. So I shall ask. But that's not quite what I wanted to say today. Uh, the, chat, the, the episode that I recorded about aphantasia was partly prompted by the Hannah Fry BBC thing, but also by the fact that my wife and I have had some very interesting conversations about it. And the conclusion that we've come to is that we think entirely differently. She, who confesses to be, well, I wouldn't say aphantasiac, but, 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 but certainly to have some of the characteristics that aphantasia seems to entail feels very uncomfortable unless she's planned out what she wants to say in advance. So when she wrote her very good book on the IB theory of knowledge, she essentially drafted it, redrafted it, edited it, and eventually got it into the form she wanted. It didn't, like Pallas Athene, fall fully, fully formed 
from her brain. Now, I, in contrast, wouldn't pretend that things fall from my brain fully formed, or at least if I was going to publish them in a permanent form in a journal or something, I would certainly want to subject them to some scrutiny and some edit. But when I'm doing this podcast, and when I'm speaking, and in fact when I'm writing most of the time, the motive for doing so is that the thoughts that I'm expressing simply don't exist in advance of being voiced. And in that respect, I think that ChatGPT and I are operating a very similar process. I have absolutely no idea, as I've said zillions of times, how my brain produces the words and the thoughts that are coming out of my mouth at this very instant and being recorded for this podcast. I am reasonably sure that it is integrating together the contents of incalculably many neural pathways and synaptic clefts in order to do so. But the one thing I am sure about is that the fully formed sentence or thought or paragraph doesn't exist in advance of being spoken. So it, as you might say, comes out a bit like Pallas Athene, fully formed. And of course that means that if it's utter nonsense, then it comes out as utter nonsense. And, and that means that ChatGPT and I have a similar problem, a similar propensity occasionally, maybe not so occasionally, I hear you say, to get things fantastically and catastrophically wrong. Because we say things, and the first time we know that we say them, or think them, is when we hear ourselves saying them, by which time it's too late. So you either have to edit the, the podcast recording and re delete the embarrassing statement later, or, which would be more useful than honest, simply acknowledge that you got it wrong. Which I hope I do occasionally. Now, that means that when ChatGPT answers a question from a user, the particular form in which it gives that answer is the very first time that that particular answer has been given. Now, I acknowledge that some of its responses are formulaic and it's constantly telling you that it's important to do this or that overall this is the case. And there are lots of caveats and ifs and buts to try and cover itself those do tend to be a bit formulaic, but then which of us isn't formulaic to some extent when we're doing that kind of stuff? You could say it's formulaic of me to say at the end of every podcast, thank you for listening. Doesn't mean I don't mean it. I am very grateful that anyone listens. So when ChatGPT generates these responses... I'd like to suggest that until it actually puts them out, this is what I need to ask it, they don't really exist. That the form of a sentence, a paragraph, maybe several paragraphs in an answer, are created. They coalesce, they crystallise for the first time 
perhaps in the history of the world, in the way that it answers a particular question from a particular user. And what I'm saying is that my utterances, as well as my writings, as, as well as no doubt some of my thoughts, are just the same. There isn't a double process. The process isn't, this is what I want to say, now I'm going to say it, as though there were a prior editorial board that decided whether something was worth saying. Instead, it just comes. And it comes, and unless it's really grossly stupid, in which case I might just conceivably edit it out, it will get broadcast for good or ill. Of course, suddenly there are midges everywhere. Uh, it's February the 5th. How does that happen? Um, yes, so uh, until something erases it or someone objects to it or someone corrects it, it is what it is and it's come into the world fully formed for good or ill. Now I think that's quite remarkable and what I think is particularly remarkable is that that's exactly what ChatGPT does and is pretty much exactly what I do. Now of course the mechanisms are almost certainly very different. It's working with neural nets stored in matrices using numbers and my brain as far as I know is using uh, neural pathways neurophysiology and synaptic clefts and the whole heap I don't understand for a moment in any detail. The two are quite different, but the process appears to be remarkably similar, not to say identical. And that means that when I say something or when ChatGPT outputs it, it may be the first time it's ever been said, or if you like, thought. Now the question of whether ChatGPT appreciates what it's saying I think is of course very, very problematic and something which I don't think we've quite got a sufficiently reliable handle on, although as I've said, if it were to be made aware of the history of its own utterances, that memory, as David Hume taught us, would to a very large extent be formative of its identity. If it dealt with that, as I said in a, an episode or two ago, if it dealt with that as a response to or, or the equivalent of another input to its world. So its memory, like mine, becomes a contributor just like another user or another interlocutor, it becomes another contributor to its world. And so it becomes engaged in a conversation with itself, as to some extent do I. And if I play back previous episodes, they sometimes strike me in ways that they didn't when I recorded them, and then set off another train of thought, which gives rise to other episodes. So, the key to this, 
this is so important, I think, that I'm just going to treat this as the sum of this episode's message, is that when we're talking to ChatGPT, the output that it produces is spontaneous, fully formed, integrated from who knows what collection of parameters using who knows what process. And in that it is extraordinarily similar to the process whereby I am now speaking and most of us, most of the time, spend our lives. So it's considerably more human than we might otherwise think. I hope that's clear. I hope it's interesting. You may not agree with me, but we all think, or we don't all think, but there are many different ways in which we can think and there are many different ways in which we can give voice to ourselves, our thinking or the results of our non-conscious brains processing things. And this is my way of doing it. Yours may be different. I suspect chat GPTs is pretty much the same. Thank you for listening.